0: Thanks, Pastor Sam. You guys can uh, you guys can have a seat. Um, Carolina, Pastor Carolina's not here today. That's uh, that's why Sam didn't know what shirt to wear, so he just asked me what shirt I'm wearing, and <laughs> just just went with that. I'm glad to help you out, brother. But uh, yeah, Pastor Sam's right. We're uh, we're in a month of apologetics, and um, which if you if you've never heard that word before, it's a word that's Uh, thrown around church circles at times. Uh, It comes from the Greek word apologia, which uh, simply means, simple meaning, it means to give a defense. Uh, And so there's certain questions that come toward the Christian worldview at times. There's certain attacks that come against the Christian worldview at times. And as Christians, uh, the Word actually instructs us to have a ready defense. Uh, And so that's what we're exploring this month uh, in the Word, is, is having a ready defense that when people come to us with questions, we're able to provide them with answers. And uh, God's not afraid of big questions. Uh, He's a very big and secure God, uh, and He's very intelligent. And so there are really no questions at all that can stump God or His Word. Uh, So that's that's what we're exploring this morning. The question we're exploring this morning is suffering. If God is so loving and so powerful and all-knowing, why is there suffering and evil in the world? Pretty exciting topic. Notice that Pastor Sam and Kay gave me suffering, and tonight he's talking about rewards in heaven. <laughs> I see what you did there. Well played. But uh, but at the moment, it's a beautiful uh, day here in Recliffe. We're enjoying spring so far. Spring's come early. The kite festivals next week. Who's going to the kite festival? Happy times. Nick's going to the kite festival. It's going to be great. Uh, The Olympics are on, we're winning gold medals, Uh, this morning you've turned up to church and so for everything that's good that's going on and for your reward of turning up this morning we're going to delve deep into suffering and what it means to suffer. So good on you, wise choice to come to church (laughs) this morning, well played. But look we can't really start the story of why there is suffering and evil in the world anywhere else apart from the Garden of Eden, so let's just lay the foundation right there. See, because God uh, is all-loving and He is all-powerful and He is all-knowing and He created the, the world perfect. He created it without any blemish. He looked at it and He said it was good. And you'd expect that from a being who is the greatest good. He is the greatest good and He produced the greatest good in this world. And so from there, He essentially put man in charge of creation. And in the working order of the universe, it was God and then it was man. And He gave him one prohibition. He said, look... You can can do whatever you want in the garden, but there's only one thing you can't do. Don't replace me as your knowledge of good and evil. Always leave me there as the authority over that. Because in that day, you will surely die. But of course they did, and they ate the apple. But I want you to understand, and this is the foundation for why there is suffering and evil in the world, it wasn't a simple act of disobedience. It was much more than that. What they did is they... They rearranged the working order of the universe, and humanity put itself in a self-autonomous position as deciding itself what was good and evil and defining for itself what is good and evil, removing God from his rightful place and putting themselves in his place. And essentially, humanity's been doing the same thing even up until this day. We're still attempting to say, look, God, don't instruct us as to what is good and evil. We can decide that for ourselves we're still reproducing the original sin and the after effects are still suffering and evil but that leads to an obvious question doesn't it why put the flipping tree in the garden in the first place (laughs) why did you do that God you knew we would sin you knew everything you knew it was possible for us to fall And yet you still put the tree there. Especially with the bloke in the garden. I mean, you put any food in front of me, I'm going to eat it. (laughs) Especially if it's your wife giving it to you. Bonnie gives me an apple, I'm going to eat the apple. So humanity asks that question, but there's actually a serious side to that question as well. Because why did God allow a world where it was possible for suffering and evil to be the outcome of his created perfect working order. And this is a challenging question, a question that your friends at your workplace, friends at your university, friends at your school are potentially going to ask you, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? Now, I'm going to give you a bit of a warning. There are going to be some sections this morning that might be a little bit complicated, a little bit. And and that's okay. I give you permission in those complicated bits just to start flicking through Facebook or you can just switch off because there's going to come a time where I'm going to sum it up nice and simply for you. So if you don't want the complicated stuff, just wait till I say, okay, this is what it all means. And then you can tune back in there, turn Facebook off and come back to me. But But in all seriousness, the fact is that there is pain and suffering in the world and there will be people even in this room that have been kept up many a night, late at night, in the early hours of the morning, struggling with some really deep and complicated questions about the pain and suffering in their life. And the the good news is that Christianity and the Christian worldview and the message that Jesus Christ has, has the best answer for why there is pain and suffering in the world, and the best solution to that pain and suffering You see, often the criticism comes that if there is evil in the world, then obviously that God isn't all-loving and all-powerful. And maybe He isn't all-knowledgeable. And so the criticism is actually used to disprove God. People might say to you, look, if if God is all-loving, then why does He allow child slavery? Or why does He allow tsunamis and earthquakes? I mean, there are some pretty microcosms of pain and suffering in our own lives, and we might ask God as to why you allowed that to happen to me. But let's think about humanity on a larger scale. For thousands of years, there's been atrocities occurring in between nations. Horrific things are even happening in the world today. Look at the Syrian crisis. Absolutely horrendous, horrific situations happening to children, to women, to men. And we could even look at the world today and ask God, why? why do you allow it to go on? Why don't you step in and say, look, in my, in my loving nature and in my power, I'm going to put a stop to evil. And so people come to us and they say, well, obviously there is no God. But let's follow the logic of that. Because if you're saying there is evil in the world, then of course you'd have to admit that there's good in the world. And if you're saying that there's good and evil in the world, then you would have to say that there would have to be some sort of measurement as to discern in between good and evil. And if there's a way of measuring the difference between good and evil, then it can't be subjective. It can't just be an evolutionary process that was implemented into humanity so that we could have survival of the fittest. No, 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 it has to be objective. Otherwise, what I define as evil and what Colin defines as evil might be two totally different things, and therefore evil doesn't actually exist. But if you're saying it does exist, and it's an actual thing, then good must exist, which means there must be a moral law. And if there's a moral law that's objective and outside of humanity, then there must be a moral law giver. So evil is sometimes used as a weapon against proving God exists. But in actual fact, it's evidence for his existence. Because you can see that if there is evil, then there must be good. And if there's good and evil, there must be a moral law giver. Therefore, there must be God. Yeah. That's called the trilemma. And it's a, it's a very classic argument that comes against Christianity. But there's a simple answer as to why an all-loving, all-powerful God does allow evil. It's because God values free will above the absence of evil. God values free will above the absence of evil. Let's define evil as best we can. Evil is this. Evil is the absence of God. Evil actually isn't a thing. It's not a substance. It's not an actual thing. It's just an absence of God. Let me explain the nature of evil. Evil is a parasite. It cannot exist outside of good. Good can exist in and of itself. God is good and he can exist without evil. Evil can't exist outside of good. I'll give you a real classic example. Lucifer himself was created a perfect angel being. Beautiful beyond description. And yet he himself, the evil one, cannot even be the evil one without first being a created good. Evil cannot exist without good. It's a parasite. You can't go and create darkness. You can't go to a shop and buy a kilo of darkness. You can't go buy a darkness globe, bulb. but You can buy a light bulb, similar to good and evil. You can't produce evil outside of God's goodness. And what happens, evil is just the absence of God. And so what happened when Adam ate the, ate the fruit is he removed God from his creation. And anything, even if I wanted to commit an evil act today, I would have to use my imagination, I'd have to use my creativity, I'd have to use my body. I've already listed three good things that God gave me that I would need to produce evil. And so evil is a parasite, it's the absence of God. It's it's the same with marriage. You take God out of marriage, then there's only going to be a, a distraction left over. You take God out of anything that He's created, whether it's creation, whether it's love, whether it's relationships, or family, or community, or nations. You take God out of anything, and there's only going to be an absence of God which is going to produce evil and suffering in this world. But God values free will Above the absence of evil. See, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, God knew that this world was the best possible means to achieve the greatest possible good. In other words, this world was the best possible means to, get, to destroy evil. Because he had to allow free will. So he didn't want to destroy free will. But if he created this world, he created it in such a way that he could create a world where evil would exist. But he would come and he would conquer evil. He would destroy evil. He would defeat evil. And then give access to his free will created beings, entry into a perfect world. That world is our promise. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. When belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him but in heaven's name to what? When things become difficult, the tendency is to turn away from God, but in heaven's name to what? In other words, we're still trying to come up with self-autonomous ways of, the, of universes that we, could, that we think would be morally better. Well, why, why God, did you uh, create a world at all? Why not just not create a world? That way there wouldn't be any suffering. People come up with that argument. But that's like, that's not even comparing apples with oranges. That's comparing apples with non-apples. That's like saying these non-existent apples taste better than these apples. (laughs) And they say, well, God can do anything. So why can't he just create a world with free will but with no evil? Well, for starters, yes, God can do anything, but that doesn't mean God can do something illogical. Like he can't make a square circle. Or he can't make a one-ended stick. You've just said a a nonsensical statement. You've said said something that is illogical. You actually haven't said anything. So to create a free world that isn't possible to sin is is not logical. It just doesn't actually exist. So that's not actually a possibility. Forced freedom is not possible. Neither is coerced liberty. See, something that's penetrating the church as well today is something called universalism. So that maybe everyone would sin and could sin, but God's going to save everybody in the end. Well, forced freedom before eternity or coerced liberty after eternity is the same thing. They cannot exist. We have to choose God ourselves. There are other things that God cannot do. God cannot swear by any name greater than himself. It says that in Hebrews. Hebrews. God cannot lie, says that in Hebrews and Titus. God cannot be tempted by evil, says that in James. And so we come up with different alternatives of the universe that we think God should have chosen, but in actual fact, there's two elements of God's nature that we've forgotten in the trilemma. See, the fact is God is all wise as well. And here's a really important one. God's eternal. So in other words, God not only created the best world for us to gain access to a perfect world as free will creatures, not as angels in heaven, not as animals in heaven, or not as other created beings in heaven, but as free will creatures, sons and daughters, family in heaven, this was the best world in his infinite wisdom This is the world he created. Norm Geisler puts it like this. Well, the present world is not the best of all possible worlds nonetheless. It must be the best means to the best world. A world with no evil in it. That world is our promised destiny. See, the other question is why doesn't God destroy evil? Well, God has destroyed evil. But in your perspective, it's in the future. But in God's perspective, who's eternal, he's already done it. So we can't bring God down into our experience. We have to put God in his rightful place. We can't, on the one hand, claim self-autonomy over what we think a moral universe should be and at the same time push off self-responsibility and saying, God, you should have done better. Wow. It doesn't work like that. It's yeah. illogical. This is the best possible world. So in actual fact, I've got some bad news for you this morning. Suffering was actually the best way. Suffering was actually an act of grace because suffering and the potential to commit evil was the greatest possible means to get the greatest possible good for you. But what's the Christian response to suffering? Because that doesn't leave you in a nice place, does it? We want to finish happy, so let's try and make a turn that way. You see, the reason the Christian worldview is the best response to evil and suffering in the world is because the Christian worldview serves a God who doesn't leave the onus and responsibility to deal with that evil and suffering at the feet of humanity, but he himself stepped out of his deity, clothed in humanity and stepped into our suffering and said, I will take responsibility for the suffering and the evil in the world. And even though it was you that chose through your free will to create a mess, not only in your own lives, but also in the world and in the created working order of the universe I'm not going to leave that responsibility on your shoulders I'm going to step in and intervene for you and I'm going to take the responsibility for suffering on my shoulders in other words we serve a God who stepped into our suffering on our behalf one of the names of Jesus is the suffering servant and it's in a book called Isaiah the 53rd chapter if you want to turn there The suffering servant was a prophecy that was given by Isaiah and he says this, he says he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When you're a man or a woman of sorrow and you're acquainted with grief, the first thing that you can pick up for yourself there is that Jesus knows what you're feeling. He's familiar with that feeling. He has identified with you in that part of your humanity. He knows what it is to be a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon his shoulders. And by his stripes we are healed. It goes on to say that he actually did it all as like a lamb led to a slaughter. He did it willingly. And the Lord laid our iniquity on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. It keeps on going that all the transgressions were laid on him. And it keeps explaining that his grave was with the wicked. And that in verse 10, it comes to one of the most astonishing verses in the Bible. In verse 10, it says this. You've got to grab onto this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's God the Father talking about the Son. It pleased God the Father to bruise the Son, Jesus. It pleased him. It pleased him to to place all of human suffering on his son's shoulders. All sickness, all disease, all suffering and all pain that humanity would ever feel all fell at the feet of Jesus. It was all pressed into the body of Jesus Christ. He took it all. Let me sum it up for you this way. Oz Guinness has a beautiful way of saying this. When he says, Christianity is the only world religion whose God bears the scars of evil. Christianity is the only religion whose God bears the scars of evil. Jesus himself stepped into our suffering for us and he now bears the scars of evil. No other God was willing to do that to get into the mess of humanity and actually suffer with us. You see, the reason there was a suffering servant is, on the one hand, God required perfect justice. He couldn't let the evil and suffering that had happened just to slide by. If I was to commit a crime today, say I was to murder somebody and I ended up at the Brisbane Magistrates Court tomorrow and they charged me with it, the judge can't say to me, oh look, it's okay, you're a nice bloke, I'll just let you off, out of the goodness of his own heart. No, the, the justice of the law requires that there would be a payment for that crime and God Because He is just, requires payment. So on the one hand, God requires perfect justice. But on the other hand, God is a perfect loving being and we find perfect love in Him. So on the one hand, we have perfect justice. On the other hand, we have a perfect loving being. And where perfect justice and perfect love meet is at the cross. Because it's at the cross where grace and mercy drench all human suffering with hope. Perfect justice meets perfect love at the cross, where grace and mercy drench all human suffering with hope. So whether it's suffering in your past or in your present or in your future, it's already been borne by Jesus, whether it's sickness or disease or sin, or just plain old human mess. Jesus took it all at the foot of the cross. Which is why we don't surrender at the cross to the power of God. We surrender to His love. We don't surrender at the cross to the power of God. We surrender to His love. Ravi Zacharias has a beautiful way of summing it up. And if you were on Facebook before because it got too complicated, now's the time you need to switch back on. Because this is, this is how it sums up beautifully. I love how Ravi puts this. He says, Where there is the possibility of love, there has to be the reality of freedom. And where there's the reality of freedom, there has to be the possibility of pain. Where there's the reality of pain, there is the need for a saviour. And where there is a saviour, there is the possibility of redemption. That's everything I just said summed up. I probably just should have said that and closed in prayer, really. Because that's the whole story, and the Christian response to why there is pain and suffering in the world is because God wanted to make love possible, not robots that had to worship Him. He valued the absence uh, sorry, He valued free will above the absence of evil. He wanted to make you a son and a daughter, not a servant and a slave. He wanted you to join into the kingdom and experience all of his perfection and goodness. Every single ounce of it, every single ounce of his goodness, he wanted you to experience. He wanted to give it to you as an inheritance through Jesus Christ. And so where there is the possibility of love, there has to be the reality of freedom. But where there's freedom, there has to be the possibility of pain if it's genuine freedom. But where there is pain, there is a need for a savior. And we serve a suffering servant God who stepped into our suffering and bore the chastisement of our peace on his shoulders. which is why there is a possibility for redemption. See, we serve a God who heals the pain of our past, who meets us in the pain of our today, and He's removed the pain of our tomorrow. Let's talk about the pain of tomorrow. You see, if there was a need for there not to be any forced freedom in this life, then after eternity, coerced liberty is also just as much of an oxymoron. That's why Jesus meets us in our suffering and invites us to come and accept him because it gives access to that world. It is possible to be free from God in eternity. And so that is what hell is. But let's talk about hell for a moment. You see, hell was not created for humanity. If we turn to Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, this is Jesus talking. Now what you understand is, Jesus actually talked about hell when he talked about heaven. That's a bit of a bummer, eh? I mean, he was cool to hang out with, but he did talk about hell a lot. But this is what he said. He said it's not created for humanity. But there will come a day, he'll say to those on his left, depart into the lake of fire. But this is, put the context of what he's saying, prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah. Who is hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for humanity. We've got a picture of hell that it's actually torture. Hell isn't torture, it's torment. Yeah. Satan and his, and his devils aren't going to be in hell torturing you. That's, that's their punishment. Yeah. That, that's, it's actually created for them. They're not there as the ringleaders. They're not there walking around doing what they want and having a party. No, they're there as a punishment. The reason it's not torture, it's torment, is because in hell, hell is where we are condemned to our freedom from God. Hell is the place that we are condemned to. our freedom from God. You are possible to choose God because he made it possible through the cross but it's possible to not choose God and we are condemned to our own freedom from God. So what does freedom from God look like? Well, God is light so there won't be any light in hell. God is love so there will be an inability to love in hell. God is hope. There is no hope. God is joy. He is the spirit of grace. Basically Every single bit of goodness that you could ever imagine is not even possible in hell because it is the total absence of God. If evil is the absence of God, hell is the complete absence of God. No light, no joy, no happiness, nothing good in the world whatsoever. And you are condemned and tormented from within, not from without, because there is a complete and total removal of any absence of joy or goodness in your life. How is that possible that God, an all-loving or powerful God, could send people there. Well, God never sends anybody there. We're condemned by our own freedom from God. We wanted to be free from God. And that's what freedom from God actually looks like. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the irresistible and the indisputable are two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will would be for him useless. He cannot ravish He can only woo. God cannot ravish. He can only woo. Whether it's this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, He equally cannot ravish. He can only woo. But I've got good news. This is where it gets good now. You see, there is a day that evil is removed. God will come and remove evil. Like I said, in your perspective, it's in the future, but it happens. It's in His Word. And like I've said to you before, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is when in Revelation it says, and the dwelling place of God is with man. Let's explore that a little bit, because as much as we know uh, things that are in heaven, we also know things that aren't in heaven. And when God comes to dwell with man, we have probably first of all, heard of that as the tabernacle. You ever heard that phrase, tabernacle? We heard the tabernacle of God. Tabernacle, just literally translated, means meeting place. The meeting place of God and man. There's a tabernacle. It happened in the desert. Moses had a tabernacle. He would go and meet with God at the tabernacle. And that that tabernacle was 4.5 meter cube. It was a four and a half meter cube where the presence of God, the very complete presence of God, would go and dwell. Later on, when 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 they built a temple, that four and a half meter cube actually ended up being a nine meter cube in the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would go and dwell in the presence of God once a year. And the meeting place of God and man would be in the Holy of Holies, which would be a nine meter cube, the very presence of God. See, if hell is the complete absence of God, the Holy of Holies is the complete presence of God, his kabod, the the complete fullness of his presence. Four and a half meter cube, nine meter cube. And then in Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem comes down, it says, and the meeting place of God is with man and God will dwell with man forevermore. That is a 2,250 kilometer cube. The whole city is the presence of God. And guess what? There's a lot of things that aren't in the new Jerusalem. Do you want to hear the list? Because there's a day that God removes evil. And and here's the list of things that aren't in heaven. There's no more chaos or turmoil. There's no more tears or death or mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more thirst. There's no more wickedness. There's no more temple. Because the whole city is a temple. 2,250 kilometers at a rough estimate based on Australian acreage style properties. Around about 160 billion people can fit in that city just to give you the scale of the size of that city full of the presence of God full of His joy and full of His love there's no more night there's no more curse but here's the one I want to draw your attention to there's no more closed gates the gates never close on the new Jerusalem Never, ever, for eternity, open gates into this city where the presence of God lives. And these 12 gates are actually named after the 12 tribes of Israel, which is a bit bizarre that the heavenly city where the presence of God is the full scale version of the Holy Holies is named after the 12 tribes of Israel because those boys were sinners, you yeah? And they were good at it. Man, you want to talk about a messed up family? You want to talk about Jacob's sons? Now, my brother, he was cleaning the windows one day and I opened up the window and he said, come here, and he sprayed window cleaner in my eyes. Now, feel free to laugh. It was my eyes, not yours. He's locked me in the garage. He's beat up on me. But to his credit, he's never sold me to the neighbours. Jacob's boys did that, the 12 tribes of Israel. You want to you read a story that you would probably find on a Jerry Springer style show? Read Genesis 38. One of the sons, Judah, two of his sons die to his daughter in while married to his daughter in law, Tamar. Now, Tamar still childless she's had two husbands die you want to talk about suffering and grief two husbands not one two husbands have died she's still childless and the father-in-law refuses to give her another son he's like you've already burnt through two I'm not giving you a third one so this is what she does she schemes away to get a son she dresses like a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law I probably shouldn't have mentioned that at this time of the hour I probably should have waited till after 8 p.m., but that's in the Bible. And guess what? Judah and Tamar are in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, the reason I want to draw your attention to the 12 open gates that are always open is because those gates are always open, not based on the human suffering and the mess that we created through the free gift of free will that God gave us. It's not what we do on earth that determines that those gates are never closed. It's because of what Jesus did on earth that makes those gates never close. And God can take a situation where a daughter-in-law that's had two husbands die, a father who's had two sons die and who gets tricked by his daughter-in-law, dressed up as a prostitute to produce an heir and a genealogy of Jesus, he can take that mess and He can turn it into something good because He's a suffering servant that stepped out of His deity and clothed Himself in humanity. Not to stand on top and say, you deal with your own suffering, but to step into the suffering that you're experiencing, to heal the suffering of your past, to meet you in the suffering of your today and to remove the suffering of your tomorrow. He knows what you felt, whether you're a man or a woman of sorrow, whether you've been tormented by grief, He knows what you felt because God wanted to identify with your suffering. He didn't want to just look down and say, you deal with it. He made a way out. The Christian response to suffering is yes, there is evil and suffering in the world. And yes, it was the best design for to achieve the greatest good to get the many people into the new heavenly Jerusalem where there is a perfect world created for you as an inheritance because that was the greatest means possible to do it. And He didn't do it by you achieving. It he did it by achieving it through his son by absorbing the suffering of humanity into his own body himself. So, just as the band comes, it might be hard to explain that when your work colleagues ask you, So, why is there suffering and evil in the world? It's complicated. It is complicated. I'm not saying it's not. I don't want to skim over your pain and suffering because pain and suffering is very real. It's a necessity because God values free will over the absence of evil. But I also want to tell you that He has a solution for your suffering. And His name is Jesus Christ. He can enter into your mess and He can enter into your suffering because He wants to absorb it. Corey Temboom, who knows a thing or two about suffering, said it this way: No pit is so deep that he is not deeper still. With Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains, and the very best is yet to be. You might not get your healing today. You might not get the situation solved today. You might have had somebody in your past which you may actually carry the scars for the rest of your life. Let's be honest, you may do that. You may have a sickness or a disease that will follow you to the rest of your life. But even in the world's and this earth's greatest tragedy of death, the promise of our Saviour is instantaneous victory by walking in those eternally open gates of Jerusalem. That's the worst this world can do to us is give us instantaneous victory through Jesus Christ. Why don't we bow our eyes? Or bow our heads, actually. Close your eyes. Because I want to talk to those who might not have experienced Jesus coming into their life and fixing their mess. Those who might not know that Jesus came as a suffering servant so that you didn't have to suffer anymore. Maybe you've been questioning, why is there evil in the world and what's the answer? Well, I've got the answer for you. His name's Jesus Christ. He took all of human suffering upon himself. The chastisement for our peace was upon his shoulders. And so if you want to meet this Jesus, if you want to give him your, your pain and your suffering in exchange for his love and his joy, give me a wave right now. Raise your hand. Let me know. Just think, I see that hand. I see that hand as well. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's awesome. Is there anyone else who want to exchange their grief and their sorrow for joy? Anybody want to choose to follow Jesus right now? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm just going to ask one more time. We're going to scan across this room. Yeah, thank you. I see that hand. That's great. That's great. God went to such great lengths to make sure that He will remove suffering from your future. He wants to heal it from your past he wants to remove it from your future and he'll meet you in your suffering today he's been there there's no pit deep that Jesus isn't deeper still anybody else one last opportunity God wants to meet you right here in your suffering and give you joy Awesome, let's just pray for those people right now. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity for these people to enter into the eternally open gates of the new Jerusalem heaven, Father. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity. And God, we just speak over the lives that have decided to follow you tonight, or this morning, Father. And Lord, we just thank you so much. We're just rejoicing that they have had suffering removed from their future and has been replaced with your joy, Father, replaced with your love and your mercy. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Come on, church, why don't we give them a big... Why don't we give God a big praise? Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand right now because there are situations of suffering in this room as well And just while we raise our hands and let's close our hearts right now let's just in these individual stories let's we've talked about why there's evil and suffering in the world but let's let's talk about your world. let's just as we sing this song once through this let's, let's just, Thank God that He meets us in our personal, individual needs. There might be individual stories right now. You really need God to enter into your heart. You really need God to enter into that situation, into that circumstance. You might be dealing with suffering. Well, the message this morning is that there's no pit deep, that Jesus isn't deeper still. Come on, let's sing, I exalt thee. Let's let's start to sing praise and worship to God. Or whatever you got, just let's praise God.